notice he says, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. Look at this. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Can anyone tell me what doctrine that is? Anyone? That's perseverance of the saints right there, right? Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. There's atonement, right? That's why we sing these songs. What about the next verse? Uh, for my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. How about this one? Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. What is that? That's justification. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Future glorification, right? Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. When he comes at last, what is that? Second coming, right? That's Christ's second coming. So when right doctrine and when truth is set to music, it arouses the correct emotions. Okay? We're not here to uh, simply just work a crowd. You know how singers, they work a crowd. We desire, by God's grace, to sing truth and to preach truth. And what happens is the whole soul becomes engaged. The mind, the heart, the will becomes engaged. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay. Why don't we pray? I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say, that was a, isn't that a sweet song? He will hold me fast. No matter what happens, even if there's even disastrous things in our life, I know my Savior will hold me fast. Father, we come before you and we ask for your blessing. We ask that your spirit would come and bless the preaching of your word. Be with us. We need you. Open our ears to hear your word. Guard my lips. May it be accurate. Father, I, I desire to preach and glorify Christ. Feed your sheep. Save those who don't know you. Do this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was saved in high school, and as we were going, and we had a bunch of friends and some claim to be Christians and others, uh, we all, there's many of them who claim to be Christians. And as time went on, we, we started to see, and I was saved a little bit of time when one of my friends, he was really close to me, he said he was a Christian, but he started to uh, give himself over to sin. Such that he, I, he started to live with his girlfriend, and as we were calling him to repentance, I just remember the conversation I had with him. He said, but I love my girlfriend. I said, but do you love God? Do you love God? He says, of course, I love God. But I love my girlfriend. And he, there he was living in immorality. And as time continued, it was a heartbreak because he was one of my friends who professed to be saved during that time. Professed to follow Christ. And as time progressed, time progressed, his faith proved to be false. As we called him to repentance, as we wept and called him to repentance, he would never turn. He said he still loved God. He, still, he said he still loved his girlfriend, and he just continued to follow that, follow that path. And I just remember that. I remember that story because we, we, we wept, and we asked him to repent. And he never did. And even to this day, he hasn't repented. To him, he was redefining what love was. 
To him, he was redefining how he can love God. For him, he could mesh somehow in his mind an unholy life and loving God. And see, that's not how the scriptures teach us in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. As we know, in the book of Ephesians, God is giving us his blessings he has told us in Christ Jesus by the Father, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit. God the Father has chosen us before the foundation of the world. By the Son who he has purchased us in him by his blood. And by the Spirit, by sealing our redemption. And as we see in Ephesians, he calls, calls us to walk. To walk in a manner worthy. Okay, And we saw that a few uh, couple months ago. And now we see this new pivot. He's going to tell us how to walk in different ways. Here he say, we see in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, what our concentration for today is walking in love. Walking in love. And we will see later on uh, in the chapter, there's going to be a new, um, a new section here, and it's walking in light, verse 8. Walk as children of light. That'll be next week. In verse 15, this is walking in wisdom. Notice he says there, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time. So as we were talking about it, as we learn this theology and as we learn what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, it ought to have an effect on our lives. A theology that doesn't change lives, a theology that doesn't focus on God, and a theology that doesn't result in loving one another and in holy living is not true theology. So for this morning, why don't we read the text, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 is what we will be taking as our part of concentration if you want to follow along i think there's some notes manny uh, it, is there anyone who needs some notes brother manny will give it to you i think we're okay okay ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 says therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love just as christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This whole passage, verses 1 through 6, is governed by this phrase, by this command, actually. Walk in love. And all of it is, a describe, is modified, describes how we are to walk in love. So God's call for you this morning 
is that you would walk in love. Walk in love. Now, why does Paul say this? Why does he say walk in love? Well, he uses the term walk. Because as we've seen before, he doesn't say profess. He doesn't say give lip service to your love, right? As many of the singers of today do, right? He says to walk in love. The word walk means the general course of your life. Your habitual behavior. It is commanded of all of you is in the second person plural imperative. It's commanded that all of us, one another, and this is here in the church in Ephesus, and its application is here, that when we operate and when we talk and when we walk and the sphere of which we are to live, the very air that we are to breathe is love. That should be a characteristic of your life. When folks see you, they should, they should say, this person is a loving, kind person. The word their love, again, is our word agape love. You notice in Ephesians, uh, as we just kind of go, briefly go through it, in Ephesians 1.15, it says here, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists amongst you and your love for all the saints. This agape love is shared between believers. If you just want to jot down Ephesians 2.4, this agape love is the love that God has for us in mercy. Ephesians 3.17 it's the love that establishes and is the foundation. In Ephesians 4.16, it is the love that grows the body. And in Ephesians 5.28, it is the love that husbands are to have for their wives as they mirror Christ's love for the church. So what does that mean? Okay? If we were to say walking in love, it sounds kind of abstract. And a lot of times in the ambiguity, a lot of folks like to excuse themselves when we are not clear okay uh, here's a working definition of what i think walking in love means okay walking in love means the daily course of life that desires to please and honor god and to care and benefit others which is motivated and empowered by christ's work and resources okay it's a long definition i'll say it again okay walking in love means the daily course of life that desires to please and honor God and to care and benefit others, motivated and empowered by Christ's work and resources. When we say walk in love, or when you hear the media says love wins, or when you hear all these type of people say, well, we need love in the Middle East, we need to have love here, we need to have love there, they are not defining what love means. The Bible is very specific. It's very narrow in what this love means. Okay? It is one that is informed by truth. It is one that is energized by Christ. It is one that is established in forgiveness first. Right? So this is the type of walking in love we are to have. Now, in order for you to fulfill this command of walking in love, there are two convictions that must compel you. There are two convictions that must compel you. First, to walk in love, you must let gospel love drive you. Okay? For you to walk in love, you have got to first let gospel love drive you. Notice in verses 
1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let gospel love drive you. First, what do we mean by that? Okay, What do you mean by gospel love drives you? What did the gospel accomplish? When you believed upon Christ, brothers and sisters, or if you're still thinking about it as you're here, when the gospel was presented to you, and when the Holy Spirit caused you to believe, there are two main things. There are two main things that it has done, and this drives love. See, if you try, and try, if you try in and of yourself to love other people, let me tell you, in your own strength, you will run dry. In your own strength to minister the gospel, you will lose power. You'll lose strength. You'll lose authenticity. Why? Because you haven't let the, the gospel love be the basis, be the energy for your love. You have to remember this, brothers and sisters. Okay? And this is why a lot of times... Uh, Missions to uh, a lot of third world nations, when they forget this, and it's simply humanitarian works, not based on the gospel, what happens is you run out of steam and you run out of the truth and people are not getting saved. Why? Because you're no longer witnessing the gospel. But first, what does the gospel provide? First, one, Jesus created relationship. Okay. Jesus created relationship. This is not a new theme. We know from Ephesians chapter 2, we were estranged from God. Hostile by nature. You remember that. But now it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Again, he uses this therefore, right? And almost every week, right, young people? If there's a therefore, we have to figure out what? What it's there for. So as we're looking, right, we know that just right before, Paul has said not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He also said not to live the old life, but to live the new life. And in light of all these blessings found in Christ, he says, now you be imitators of God. If you love God, if you love others, be imitators of God. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a, an individual command. It is a plural command for all of us. God is commanding this. The word there for imitator means copier, follower. It's where we get the word mimic. Paul uses this in 1 Corinthians 11. You don't have to turn there. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You also became imitators of us and the Lord having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We are to be imitators of God. What does that mean? We are to have his likeness. We are to have his characteristics. We are to grow in his attributes, in what he likes, in what he dislikes. We are to grow in holiness. We are to grow in the desire for righteousness we are to grow in our desire for purity. We are to grow in our desire for mercy, for love. We are to grow in these things. 
Why? Because as you are a child, you are to look like your father. Now, if anyone looked at Nolan or if anyone looked at Titus, you would know Titus is the son of Andre. You don't even have to guess, right? Nolan is the son of Nelson, right? That's right, right? And why? How can you tell? Because what's happening is when you look at them, they have the very likeness of their father. They look like daddy. Brothers and sisters, God has called you to walk in love because what? God is what? He's love. Right? God is love. And so if you are children of God, you ought to look like your father. Amen? You are to imitate and look like your father. You are to mimic God. The reason you're called to mimic his love is because in Christ you are beloved children. Remember, he says here, beloved, you are objects of his affection. He received no benefits from you as he set his affections on you to benefit you and to care for you even as you know you don't deserve it. His love is not as the fickle love songs or movies that the world knows. But this love, uh, I love to tell Christians this. I think sometimes you forget. I was at a home fellowship group on Wednesday and I saw Nelson and I said, did you know Jesus loves you? He says, oh, that's just good to hear again. I don't want to get over the love of God. Amen? Amen. You, I don't want to hear I'm a beloved child of God and say, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's for baby Christians. I need to know his love every morning. I need to know that I am right with God because of what Christ has done for me. I need to have hope again for the next day. And that only is established. And that only you could stand in when you are convinced of the love of God for you. Oh, brothers and sisters, my, it is my joy this morning to tell you, you are loved. Don't let things rob this from you. I want to walk in the Father's love. What does is, what is First John say? And we sing it too. Behold what manner of what? Love the Father has given towards us that we should be called sons of God, children of God. How great a love that is, right? Now, he says that we are children and it's no wonder we are to properly behave as his children. If you're taking notes, look at Philippians. You could write this down, Philippians 2.15. He says that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. And here, here's what's amazing. Children of God. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Here's what's amazing, brothers and sisters. We know that we're sinners. We know that, Christ, uh, that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us, right? We know this, right? But what's amazing is, in the scripture, 
when we have come to Christ, and you see in the timeline of God's saving work of his people, he very rarely calls you sinner anymore once you've come to Christ. Now, are you battling with remnant sin? That's absolutely true. But here are the names he calls you now. He calls you a son of God. He calls you a daughter of God. He calls you a saint. He calls you the beloved bride of Christ. He calls you, uh, he calls you all of these rich names. I think you need to remember this. When you fall in sin, and sometimes you do, and you're beating yourself up and you don't want to open your scriptures because you're so ashamed. Right? You know God speaks through his word. And so what do you do? You just kind of ignore the Bible day after day after day after day after day. God has given his son in Christ Jesus. And because of his blood, he has adopted you into his family. You are his beloved children. Now that gives me, that gives me strength to love others, doesn't it? I know I'm loved. Right? In Christ. I'm convinced of it. Are you convinced? This morning. Are you convinced? Or are you the kind of Christian who comes in here and says, you know, I'm saved, but God only loves those other kinds of Christians, not me. Woe is me. Woe is my life. Look at my life. He loves other Christians. Brothers and sisters, that is not it. He loves all his children. Amen? He establishes, he, uh, Jesus creates relationship, but also Jesus established reconciliation. Jesus established reconciliation. And this is what you need. We know that why in Ephesians chapter 2, it says what? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And now Jesus says, and in this verse, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Just as Christ also loved you. Your lives are to emulate Christ's love. It's, it ought to emulate sacrifice and humility such that it can be said of you that you are a Christian and you are Christ's. Never get over this, that Christ says he loves you. Now, what kind of love is this according to this verse? Look here. It's voluntary kind of love. It's a voluntary kind of love. Notice he says here, he gave himself up for us. Christ voluntarily gave up his rights. It wasn't his insistence to defend himself. Notice in Philippians he gave himself up for us. Look at Philippians here. What, what does that mean he gave himself up? In Philippians chapter 2. He's talking about humility in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 2. And he says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your personal interests, 
but also the interests of others. And now, Paul has given the command first this time, okay, to be humble. And now he's going to give the justification, the theological principle that undergirds what you're supposed to live like. And he says here, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, and there is what we call um, the humiliation of Christ, right? He was, he existed with God uh, for eternity past. And now he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He dropped one step and being made in the likeness of men. He dropped another step being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He dropped another step and even death on a cross. He even dropped another step. And that is the humiliation of Christ. But what I wanted to point out here is he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that phrase there, what he's saying here is Jesus Christ had all rights and all privileges of who God is because he's God. He existed before the foundation of the world. He said before Abraham, I was, right? And what he's saying is he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus knew he had all these rights and all these privileges and he let them go for you, for me. And so as we are seeking to emulate, as Paul says, to walk in love, you remember that Christ took on, he took on the burden voluntarily. So what does that mean? How does that apply, right? Go back to, with me to uh, Ephesians. Okay, to Ephesians. As Christ demonstrates his love by voluntarily giving up of himself, that ought to be the pattern of your love for other people. Okay? That I would... Like if there's an issue or there's a problem, rather than turning away and backstepping and not wanting to minister. Okay? I, had this, uh, I had this opportunity by God's grace. I was speaking to this guy and I can tell he was visibly distraught. Visibly distraught. And I knew he wasn't a believer. I really knew, right? And as I was talking to him, I just started sharing scripture. And all of a sudden, just started weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And I know he wasn't a believer, okay? but I think God is working in his heart. I think he's drawing him and convicting him. And I just shared scripture that I had memorized. And what, is, what started to happen is I could have looked at that situation and said, hey, you know what? I got enough problems of my own. I got four kids, right? I got rent to pay, right? I got to do all these things. Why would I take more on? Come on. Is that, is that not the feeling? I'm going to walk into a train wreck here. Brothers and sisters, Christ walked into the train wrecks of your life. And he didn't do it because he was forced to, because he had a, someone was uh, twisting his arm and pushing him forward. He did it voluntarily. Do you see the point? 
Do you give yourself voluntarily for others? Are you there? Can you weep with them? Can you pray with them? Can you help serve with them? Can you help them when, uh, this is, I'm, I'm just giving examples, when your friend, when someone in the church, their mom dies and you have to help them clean out their house. That's some of the most saddest tasks to do. Oh, that is a painful task. Can you help them bury their mom or dad? Can you do this willingly, knowing it's going to take time and you're going to come home and have to decompress because it's so emotionally draining? Will you do this like Jesus? Walk in love. Amen? Amen? We're going to bear each other's burdens. Walk in love. Here, sacrificially, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. It's sacrificial. He says an offering and a sacrifice to God. Now this portion we cannot do. Do you understand? Anytime we say we sacrifice, we really don't sacrifice like Christ. Do you know that? I don't, don't get into a sacrifice competition with Jesus. You're going to lose. Okay? You're going to lose. But what is this there for? The offering and the sacrifice is there to give us pictures back to the Old Testament. Why? The Old Testament was about offering and sacrifices. was about coming to a holy God with an unblemished animal sacrifice on the altar. And the blood was supposed to be spilt. What Jesus is saying is, I am the unblemished sacrifice. I am the pure lamb. I have given myself sacrificially to bleed for you. And if you trust solely in me for your salvation, you will be saved. And what he's saying here is this, that the way that we are to walk in love first starts out. This is the very basis. You can't even tell people to love correctly. You can't even give them this imperative. Why? Unless they have come through this. Unless they have come through the cross. Unless their sins have been washed. All of their thoughts of love. Their thoughts of selflessness. Their thoughts of being voluntary to give themselves to other people. Will not compute. Why? Their sins have not been forgiven. They've got to come through the cross. And I think this is, this is where we have the problem sometimes. We think we can change people. We think if we have it. We think we if. If we have our arguments so framed and so great and so right that we could argue someone into the cross. Brothers and sisters, we can't do that. It's got to be a work of God that they see the value of the sacrifice of Jesus and they believe and repent. They believe and repent. And when that comes, brothers and sisters, when you are convinced that that offering was accepted, that that sacrifice put away the wrath of God, when you are convinced, this is a sure conviction, I know this to be true, you are free to love even the most ungodly of people. You're free to forgive. 
you are free to give of yourself. Why? Because I know I've been forgiven much. Right? Do you remember that, uh, do you remember that uh, story that Jesus says? She was forgiven much, therefore she loves much. Right? Right? Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, how will you have the strength to continue and walking in love when, I'm just going to say, I'm just saying examples, okay? When the kids disobey, when the teenagers give you a hard time, when your husband's being obstinate, when your wife is being, what does, what does Proverbs say? A drip on the roof, right? When all of these things, when our sins come out and we're cantankerous against each other, what is going to keep you walking in love? It is the gospel. It is knowing I'm forgiven. It is knowing that there is a sacrifice for me and Jesus did it voluntarily. That is where the, the strength and the motivation and the power is going to come. Without that, it's going to be dry. You're going to be dry. Now he says it's a fragrant aroma and that means... Uh, the fragrant aroma in the Bible is a theme, meaning it is pleasing to God. You can see that in Genesis chapter 8. You can see that all through the sacrifices. The world teaches, I just want to move on. The world teaches that what your main problem is that you lack self-esteem. That you don't love yourselves enough. And yet the Bible teaches just the opposite. The problem is you love yourself too much. That's the thing. In the last days, 2 Timothy 3.2 says, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Loving and esteeming only yourself does not lead to voluntary, sacrificial, pleasing giving of yourself to God and others. It leads only to protecting yourself, to protecting your rights, to protecting your privileges, to protecting your comforts. The real problem is that you are estranged from God, but this estrangement, this alienation is caused by sin. The sin can only be removed by a perfect sacrifice. That perfect sinless sacrifice was Christ. Now, in Christ, this is the foundation of immovable love for you and that you are now free to love others. You see, when you are loved with this vice grip kind of love of God, okay, he says this in, in the Gospel of John. My father, has, my, fa my father holds you by the hand, and I hold you, and no one can take you out of our hands. Right? When you are in that vice grip of love, brothers and sisters, you are confident. And even if people don't return love, it really doesn't even matter anymore. In fact, their response doesn't even dictate whether or not I'm going to love. Amen? I think I told this story before. I had a boss working at a warehouse. He would call me out, ex-military. He had to go to anger management so many times. Called me out in front of the warehouse workers. You know, it was a rough crowd, about 200 warehouse workers and he would curse at me why didn't you get this why did you get that and then as we looked it was his fault right not mine right why don't you have 20 workers here angelo and he was just cussing me up and down and i 
and I was biting my lip, wanting to, I mean, if I was, maybe in my flesh, I'd pop him right in the nose, right? God was teaching me. I think he was teaching me how to love. And one morning I said, God, thank you for this. This was by his power. I don't deserve anything. Thank you for this. I know I am loved. Help me to love this man. So as he started to come in on me again, I responded in kindness and in love, not in frustration. Right? This is, I'm not doing this to boast in me, brothers and sisters. I was tempted, tempted to punch him right in the nose. I'm saying this because why? Because God's power and his gospel can overcome the world. Right? And folks were then asking, how can you take that? How can you take that? And then, boom, in comes the gospel. Do you see? Now I have a door and an avenue, and now they see the authenticity of the life under much duress. Right? That's how you are free. Paul says this is everything. This is everything, brothers and sisters. Your love is the demonstration of your theology. This is everything. Okay. This is where the world wants to see you fall. Okay. They don't want, they don't want to get, celebrate when you do well. They want to celebrate when you fall. They're waiting for you to blow it. That's what they're waiting for. They want you to have a lack of love and they want you to have an outburst at work and they want you to have an outburst in the groceries when someone cuts you. And they want you to do that, right? And they want to say, see, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. And they love to show you the inconsistency. That's what they want. Brothers and sisters, how do you defeat that? Not by your own power, but by the power of Christ trusting in the gospel. Right? But this is everything. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I do not have love, what does he say? I am nothing. I could do prophecies. I could have all knowledge. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. The problem of hatred and sin and bitterness and argument is not fundamentally a problem with each other. That is simply a symptom. It is a symptom of not being reconciled with God. Manny, can you turn the air conditioner on? I'm getting hot. Getting hot. Thanks, brother. Okay, so how do you walk in love? How do you walk in love? First, you must let gospel love first drive you. Gospel love has to drive you, okay? Second, you must let biblical holiness mark you. Let biblical holiness mark you. Notice, given this wonderful blessing and undergirding of God's love for us, we can then love others. You need to understand this. Your love for God and each other can be short-circuited simply by sin. Okay? It can be short-circuited by sin. There are three reasons biblical holiness must mark you in this passage. Okay? There are three reasons biblical holiness must mark you. Number one, sin does not befit the people of God. Sin does not befit the people of God. Notice he says here in your actions, but do not let 
immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He says it, it doesn't fit you. If in fact you are a child of God, you are called a saint. The word there for saint is really means holy one. You have been called out. You are separate, right? So immorality, impurity, greed are sins that demonstrate a lack of true gospel love. They are the epitome of selfish love. Love that is self-centered typically leads here. This is not concerned about the other person's walk with Christ, but only what can satisfy you. As one commentator said, it is about getting, not giving. That's why these are here. This short circuits walking in love. This stops, this hinders, this destroys. The word there for immorality, it says here first, not let immorality or impurity or greed. The word there for immorality is the word porneia. Porneia. It's where we get the word fornication. It's where we get the word pornography. It means unlawful sexual intercourse. Generally of every kind of extramarital, unlawful, or unnatural sexual intercourse. The word there for impurity means anything generally unclean and filthy. Wicked thoughts, ideas, fantasies, homosexuality, all kinds of sexual sin. The word there for greed means immorality and impurity are outward forms of this greed. Okay? It's what I can get. It's what I can receive. You see what I'm saying? So greed plays into this, right? Greed plays into this. It cares what it wants. It does not desire the purity of others. Relationships can be broken. Children can be torn apart. Families could be ripped apart. Churches could be split simply because you are greedy in your sexual desire. There's no control. He says, don't let it. Don't let it even be named among you as proper as as saints, right? Those who say they love God, say they love the church, yet actively, habitually, unrepentantly continue in this behavior, betray the fact that the only one they really love is themselves. All right, I have to talk. I got to step because I'm a pastor. I got a lot of young teenage girls here, so I'm going to talk to you for a little bit, okay? I'm talking to you, okay? Please listen, all right? If there is some guy who says he loves you but does not desire for you to grow in Christ, does not encourage you to grow in Christ, and does not serve and honor Christ, he really does not love you. If there is a guy who says he loves you and does not care for your purity, he does not love you. Please listen, I've seen too many shipwrecks. Okay? Our heart as a church, as a pastor, as an elder, my heart is that you would marry godly men, the guys would marry godly women, completely abandoned to Christ. 
So girls, if there is a guy who truly loves Christ, this is how you'll know. Okay? This is how you'll know. Ty, if there's a girl. I'm talking to Ty because he's our only guy, right? <laughs> Ty, if there's a girl, this is how you know. Do, does she really love the Lord Jesus Christ? Does she serve him? Does she honor him? He will truly love you. And he will care. He and she will care about your purity. And, the, and for the girls, the guys, they will care about your purity. They will care that you are walking with Christ. That's how you'll know. Okay? If they don't care, and then they say, I love you. It doesn't matter how we live. We can go fast if we want. If they say that, you know there is no love in their heart. They're not walking in love, according to this verse. They don't love God, and they don't really love you. So, enough of my fatherly speech. I'm moving on. Okay. In your speech, in your speech. So, it's in your actions, but also in your speech. It says, there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. This doesn't mean that a Christian can't have any humor or can't tell any jokes. Okay, some people some people think this. They look at this. Oh, you can't joke at all. We're just going to have a doom and gloom, somber kind of Christianity. Go ahead. Take that. I don't want that. Right. God has given us joy. Right. But what this means is what you desire to laugh in. Do you laugh in filthiness that is disgraceful, obscene, shameful, indecent, ugly, deformed is another word. And this would include dirty language or speech or do you like silly talk the word there for silly talk is a conjunction of two words morose and logia this was this is what's interesting morose is where we get the word moron okay and logia actually is where we get the word to speak or to say so this is talking about moron talk foolish talk Stupid talking. Gutter mouth. Okay. Then it says coarse jesting. That's another word can be buffoonery. Right. One commentator says it's turning something said or done, no matter how innocent, into that which is obscene or suggestive. It is sexual, sometimes sexual double entendre, if you know what that is, right? When someone says something, you turn it around and make it perverted. Right? It is a filthy person who can turn anything to show their own immorality. The Bible says it's not fitting of a saint. It doesn't befit you. It's not proper. What do you speak of? What do you laugh at? What are the shows that you laugh at? God says that is not how a saint ought to live. But rather giving him thanks, which is the opposite of selfishness. So, three reasons biblical holiness must mark you. One, sin does not befit the people of God. Two, sin excludes from the blessing of God. Sin excludes from the blessing of God. He says there, for this you know with certainty, no doubt you know for sure. Now, look at the text. He says, you know for sure that no immoral or imp impure person or covetous man who is an idolater. Covetous man is only one who is, cares about his needs or his wants, right? We see that in Colossians 3. Also, 
you can know for sure. And I have to read this text, okay? Come with me to 1 John chapter 3. This is a powerful text. 1 John chapter 3, okay? This is what the Bible teaches. That when someone comes to Christ, truly comes to Christ, that there is a change in direction of the person's life. I say a change in direction, not perfection. Do you understand? There's a change in direction, not perfection. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. This is why Paul says in Ephesians that you can be certain, okay? He says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he says, No one who is born of God, notice what it says, practices sin. And the verbiage is very specific. The word there for practices means this, a habitual, walking, unrepentant, non-turning, non-confessing lifestyle. That is how you live your life. The Bible says there's no such person who is a true Christian who continues in that. Now, that is powerful. The thing is, that's not what's taught in many churches. Sad to say. As long as you say this lip prayer, as long as you've gone up front before, then they say, oh, you're saved. Don't even, don't even decide whether or not how their life leads. The Bible changes. It doesn't say that. The Bible says what? Paul says this. You can be certain if they know, if they know God, their life will be changed. They're not going to stay the same. They may not be perfect, but there is a different direction in their life. And you know this is what happened to you. If you name the name of Christ as your Savior, your life fundamentally changed when you said, I believe in you, Christ. You are my Savior. I will follow you wherever you want me to go. And you know you've never been the same. And you're not going back. Amen? And so, so John says, no one is born of God practices sin. Why? Because his seed abides in him. With the divine nature, God has made you, caused you to be born again. And he cannot sin. Not instances of sin, because we see that in 1 John later. You can't stain it. So brothers and sisters, what is it saying? That as a Christian, when you do sin, you know you can't stain it. You feel filthy. You can't stand being in it. There's a difference between getting muddy and being a pig and jumping in. Right? You've been changed. You know when you sin, you've got to get right. You've got to confess and repent. Because he's born of God, this is the fundamental change. Your nature has been changed. You've been regenerated. This is what we call born again. Verse 10, here is one of the most powerful statements on what we call lordship salvation. He says here, verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are ambiguous, are unclear. What does it say? Uh, you can't tell. Uh, they're the same. What does it say? What? Are obvious. That is powerful, right? Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. That's why Paul says, you know, if their life is a pattern of unrepentant, habitual sin, 
not turning to Christ, doesn't want his word, doesn't want to be in church, doesn't want to be part of the body, just wants to continue in living their own life, they are not a Christian. They're not a Christian. So sin excludes from the blessing of God. Lastly, sin guarantees the judgment of God. Verse 6. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Uh, I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to tell you, just write this verse down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10. Okay? And I'll just read this. He says, Do not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this, Do not be deceived. I think that's telling. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. And he lists this whole litany. He says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says this, do not be deceived. Why? What's the implication? That there will be folks who are preaching a gospel that you could receive Christ as Savior and not as Lord. God says, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't think that that is right. Be discerning. Yes. Decide. Have a judgment call on what, on what that person is teaching in the, in the Bible. The Bible says don't be lied to. The Bible says because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So let me end here. Are you walking in love? Are you walking in love? Okay. Where are you positively going to have the resources for that? Is it driven by gospel love? That's the question. Okay. Even carrying your baby or carrying your kids, you need gospel love. Yes, you do. Moms, dads, do you feel that it's so? So, do you are you amazed by your own sin? That your own son or daughter can, you can get so angry at your son and daughter? Aren't you amazed? How are you going to ask for forgiveness and how are you going to be warm and tender again? You got to go back to gospel. That Christ loved me, died for my sins. And bathe in it every day, okay? Bathe in it. Secondly, is your love marked by gospel holiness? So no matter what you profess with your lips, if there's... An, if there's not holiness to match with it, a new direction in your life, the Bible says you're not walking in love. So if you know Christ, brother or sister, walk in this freedom of love. If you don't know him, turn from your sin and turn to Christ. He loved you enough to hear this message. Trust only in Christ for salvation and forgiveness. You will be set free to love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you've set the standard, but Lord, even as I look at the text, I can't do it. I'm so glad that there is a Christ who died for my sins. And I'm so glad that there's a Christ who paid for it all and gives me strength to live for him and gives me motivation to give of myself, as Romans 12 says, to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Oh, God, would you cause us to love like that?
Would you cause us to pursue you like that? Would you cause us to love our fellow brothers and sisters like that and to love this world that may not even return it in favor? God, help us to mature in love and to be filled with it, informed by the gospel, energized by the Spirit, motivated by Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.